There's no rule that says you can't rock this right now, even though this is the countdown clock. One of the great songs ever. Let the lyric work you over. Let the beat work you over. And there's not a place your mercy and grace won't find me again. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you. There's nothing. Nothing is better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you. Lord, there's nothing. Nothing is better than you. First Presbyterian Church, those of us here in this room right now and those of us who are gathered together online, one big family, and I want to remind you, we're, we're purposeful. We're on a mission at First Presbyterian Church, and our mission, we could say it this way, we want to go wide and we want to go deep. And what we mean by wide is this, we want to be a place where people can discover the love of God that we know in Jesus Christ. And that means wide out there in our, in our world, in our relationships. We also want to go deep, and what we mean by that is to deepen our relationship with Jesus as we follow him. I hope that you want to be a part of that mission in the church, and I hope we all experience a little bit of that right now together this morning as we sing, as we pray, as we listen. Let's go wide and let's go deep and let's do it together as a family. And that's what this is. We're gathered as a family primarily that we can connect right now with God. And I want that to be what happens to all of us here as we're together in this room. If you would like do so, you can right now go to Facebook if you would like and share this so other people will hear from you and they maybe will latch on to us. That's a way that we can go both wide and deep. So that's a pretty important thing for us to do. I want to also ask you, if you're online or here in the room, if you've never done so, to give us a Connect card. It's, you can go on our website, and it, you tell us who you are, your email address or your, or your cell phone, and we'll help you get engaged if you would like to engage more connecting in things that we do the other 167 hours during a week. If those of us in the room, if you need to leave for any reason, just go through those double doors in the back and go out and take care of whatever you need to take care of. Thank you very much for that. <coughs> What I want to do now, my friends, is offer a prayer as we think about why we're here today, connecting and encountering the goodness of God and connecting with God's love. So please pray with me. Gracious God, in our lives where we live with our families and where we work in our jobs and where we socialize and play and, where, and we're in school, that's where we do what we do. 
we go wide and we go deep there. We, we care about people who we, love, who we think might be far from you. We, we don't want to add anything new to our busy list. What we want to do, gracious God, is learn how to be a servant. And we can do that well when we simply take the relationships that are already a part of our life and we think about them differently. We think about serving. We just surrender to what someone else needs, to someone else's circumstances, to someone else's uh, difficulties or joys and celebrations. So make us servants, gracious God. Help us to reverse the way we might normally want to live, which is to thinking about ourselves first. It's all of us need to be folks who listen well to others and learn to love them well the way we've been loved. Gracious God, when we're together as a family, and that's what we are now, we think about folks who are far, far out, and we also think about people who are close. And in our family, there's, there's cancer, and there's suffering and difficulty because of finances, and there's estrangement in relationships and all kinds of hard things. And so we pause right now just for a moment to think about some person in our life where we live and where we work or where we play or where we go to school, some person who's in need, and we say their name silently in our hearts to you right now. Families also, gracious God, celebrate good things, and so we celebrate Katie and Chris Kale who have given birth to their third child, a little girl. Her name is Charlotte. Thank you for this gift of life in that family. Thank you for those, that mom and that dad and all the grandparents who are going to love that kid really, really well. Gracious God, we want to be your sons and daughters. We want to be your boys and girls out there giving life to other people by serving their needs, by listening carefully to you. Gracious God, that's what we want to be. That's what we want to do. Help us right now today in these next few minutes to connect with you to celebrate you and to sense your challenge in our life as you turn us into the men and women that you want us to be. All this in the name of Jesus, the one that served as opposed to being served. Amen. Good morning, First Prez. Let's stand for worship.
thing I want to remind us of as we think about being a First Presbyterian Church family, a Christian family in the city of Tampa in your neighborhood, one of the ways the resurrected king is resurrecting us is we're reading through the gospel of Mark together. So your assignment as soon as we're finished today is to read chapters 11, 12, and 13. Mark chapter 11, 12, and 13 just dash through them, reminding you as you listen to Kathy in a few minutes, as well as as you read, we're looking for three themes. We've been noticing that the mighty Messiah has showed up in the human experience, in the person of Jesus Christ. And we have said that 
at the same time, somehow God's kingdom, God's realm, God's administration is in a new way taking over the way things are in the world. We're get, God is making things the way he wants them to be. So we've been seeing the mighty Messiah and the kingdom all mixed up together. And also what we've been watching is our response. And our response is to have the courage to dare to follow Jesus. So we're talking about being daring in the sense that we follow Jesus and we use the traditional term discipleship. So that's what we're doing as a family with all the other things going on in your life and what you do in the world and what you do in your relationship with God. We're focusing, connecting together on reading this book together. So again, read Mark chapters 11, 12, and 13. Do it this week. Dash through there and be, look, be looking forward to the piece of it we pick out and talk about in more depth later on next week. That's the, that's the happening that's happening. I wanted to also remind you as we think about generosity and about giving back to God, one of the things we don't talk about too much is our budget, but I want you to know that because of generosity, because you give, we're able to have a budget which has a staff. It's probably about 70, 72% of the dollars we spend are spent on our staff team and all the things connected to them. And so what you're doing is you're giving us a, sta a chance by being generous to have a staff that can help make things happen. We don't make them all happen. We help make them happen. But it takes a team of people. We have an unbelievable team. They're just phenomenal people. We have a great time together. But mostly what we want to do is be a group of people to help more people go wide and go deep help people connect with God for the first time or go deep with Jesus in their walk of faith. And so thank you. Here are the ways we show you every week on how you can connect with us if you, to continue generosity. So please thank you. know that it matters to God that we give, and we're trying to be faithful stewards of it as we grow this family of faith in the community of Tampa. Let's continue to worship. Please stand.
coming after me So all you won't kick down Lie you won't tear down Coming after me Thank you, Adam. Okay, so the fact that we can talk about the Tampa Bay Bucks and the GOAT in the very same sentence is beyond comprehension. Thanks to Tom Brady, the GOAT, the greatest of all time, it's obviously good to be the GOAT, unless you're a cadet at West Point. My dad was almost the GOAT at West Point, and I don't mean greatest of all time. West Point has a curious tradition of celebrating the GOAT. It's an exclusive club that includes people in it like General George Custer. Now, is this for academic achievement or athletic prowess or military skills? Nope. No, the more than 200 graduates of West Point throughout history that were named as the GOAT were recognized because they graduated last in the class, bottom of the class, and thereby enjoying temporary celebrity with the rest of their classmates for being the GOAT. Now, my dad said that he graduated number 26 in his class, that is 26 from the bottom. But many, many of the over 200 West Point goats went from last in their class to first by distinguishing themselves, defending, serving, and dying for our country. It's this kind of reversal that we are going to see amongst the earliest followers of Jesus, the disciples, the original 12 disciples, because they want first place so bad they can taste it. And Jesus is going to show them that true greatness comes from being last. We're actually going to drop right into the middle of an argument that they're having about greatness, and we find it in Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 35. So they came to Capernaum, which I'd learned to pronounce that way when I was in the Holy Land, and to honor my friends who taught me that, I'm going to do that, but you can say Capernaum, whatever, whatever word you want to say. But they came to Capernaum, and he, when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? Well, they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down. Now, in Scripture, anytime you see Jesus sitting down, he's about to say something really 
important. So sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Now, whenever there is trouble over who is the greatest, there's going to be trouble over who is the least. That's at the heart of it for us, isn't it? Because most of us know that we're not going to be the greatest, but just don't let us be the least, right? Well, not long after this argument, a couple of them, James and John, decided to pick it up again, kind of with a new tactic, try a new way. These are two brothers that we find now in Mark chapter 10, in verses 35 and following. It says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. Well, what's your request? Jesus asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to be seated at the places of honor next to you, one at your right and the other at your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering that I must be baptized with? Oh yeah, they said, we're able. I want you to notice the words here that I highlighted. We want, do us a favor. We want, again, places of honor. We are able. Wow, that's embarrassing when we realize how much we make it about ourselves. It's not hard for me to go at my faith in such a way that I make it more about me, what I need from God, what I want. It's an analysis of our culture because we are all needy and our default is to be self-focused. We all need help, but the antidote is counterintuitive. According to Jesus, apparently, it's about others and being other-focused. When he said, anyone who wants to be first must be last and the servant of all. But Jesus had much more to say about this, and we find this continuing in chapter 10. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones that he has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. Now, we don't know if they were indignant because... They found it to be offensive the way James and John were talking to Jesus? Or could it be that they were indignant because clearly James and John had left them out of the VIP table they were putting together? It could be all the above. So Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world, and in their case, it was the Romans, their occupiers. You know that the rulers in this world lord it over the people, and officials flaunt their authority over those who are under them. But among you, it will be different. If you want to be great, you must be the servant of all the others. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Now these guys are fighting over who's going to have the best seats at the table. 
And so if the move, if the antidote is to move from self-focus to other focus, how do we get there? It doesn't do us any good to fuss at ourselves and, and try to create false guilt over this. That doesn't work. And that is not what Jesus is doing here. No, basically Jesus is saying, hey, the secret may not be what you think it is. So we don't have to spend time feeling guilty about living in a culture in which everything seems to push us toward thinking about self. Perhaps our best move is to do what Jesus asks. He's clear. But it's a lot to take in, isn't it? I mean, I feel for these guys because they are scared to death about going anywhere near Jerusalem because the religious leaders in Jerusalem had been making constant threats on Jesus' life and it's only a matter of time. Now, going up to Jerusalem used to be fun. These guys had had a lifetime of going to Jerusalem, singing on the way as they went to celebrate the festivals, the Jewish festivals that honored the power of God and his history of rescuing the people of Israel from trouble. The songs they sang can be found in the Old Testament in the Psalms, and it's a group of them called the Psalms of Ascent. Ascent, as you know, means to go up. And so as they went up to Jerusalem, they were also going up to the temple, which was located at the highest point in Jerusalem. It used to be fun. But I wonder if James and John are simply trying to get control of a situation that for them is starting to feel completely out of control. And we know that when we tighten down and seek to over-control, that's when we tend to move toward even more self-focus, more self-preservation. But Jesus starts using words like servant, slave, Give your life. Not exactly the words they wanted to hear on their way to Jerusalem, on their way to trouble. But then he says in verse 43, but you are going to be different. You're not going to be like the Romans who were heartless and cruel oppressors. You're going to be different than the officials who flaunt their authority over those who are under them. Because in my kingdom, the last are going to be first, and the first are going to be last. Jesus is completely reversing the world's ranking systems. Jesus is also reversing the ranking systems that exist in the crevices of our own hearts. That's why he said you are going to be different Jesus wasn't trying to get rid of leadership and authority. He was redefining leadership and authority. And Jesus understood that at the heart of James and John's request was a desire for power and control, which always focuses more attention on self. And when that happens... When attention is more focused on self, it kills love. Because love, by its very nature, is other-focused. So Jesus says, I want you to be different. Because if you want to be great, you must become a servant. If you want to be first, then you must become everyone's slave and be last. And I'm just starting to learn and understand that if I really, really want to be a follower of Jesus, that he's always going to ask me to be a daring disciple and be different, completely different. In this decisive, 
reversal of values. Jesus speaks of greatness in terms of service rather than greatness in terms of power, prestige, and control. Ironically, greatness belongs to the one who isn't great, the servant, diakonos, the ordinary Greek word for waiting on tables. And pursuing the point even further, Jesus says, if you want to be first, you must be last and be a slave to all, slave, doulos, even lower in ancient society than servant, the least and the last of all in that culture. Is Jesus trying to get us to do more, serve, 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 serve? Actually, no. Because serving isn't just something we do. It's who we are. This isn't about serving more. It's about learning to be a servant instead of one who serves here and there so that serving will begin to flow naturally out of the rhythms of our daily living. There is a huge difference between choosing to serve and choosing to be a servant. And this is kind of a fun way to look at that in this video. I've been I've collecting been donations for a couple of weeks now. A couple of weeks now, and I feel good about it. I found that the key to a profitable day is a little smile and the right amount of bell, because you don't want to get too crazy with the bell. Of course, I found that out the hard way. At the end of every shift, I want to get in that bucket and see what I brought in, okay? I want to measure my effectiveness. Uh, but I cannot pick that lock, and I have tried. I have tried using my own keys. I've tried using a hairpin, my fingernails. I can't reach my hand in the top of it either. And if I'm going to serve, I want to know how good I'm doing. You know, I got a bonus the other day for sticking very closely to the script. And believe me, honey, I would not be doing this if there were no bonuses, because I am really... I'm really putting it out there. Really? Oh, really? Oh, does that mean something to me? That means nothing to me. The other day, my shift supervisor said to me, well, why don't you go over to Weatherby Street and get some donations over there? I said, I don't think so. That is not my neighborhood. Here in my neighborhood, they see me and they know me and they make note, oh, okay, that's what she's doing. Because I am a servant, I'm going to serve my community where people can, you know, see me and say hello. To whom much is given, much is required. I believe it was Kennedy that said that. It feels very good to bring myself down to the level of a servant. That is, that's earning me a star somewhere, I know it. And I'm helping, and I feel good about it. Okay, and if anyone wants to say, that I'm not doing anything productive for the community, well, guess what? You try putting on a wool cape, all right, and walking around. I feel like a big donkey, all right? This, is, this isn't easy. I'm good at what I do. I'm good at what I do. It gets me every time. When we choose to serve, we are still in control. We decide who we're going to serve, when we're going to serve, where we're going to serve, how long we're going to serve. And when we're in that place of control, we tend to think more about ourselves. But when we choose to be a servant, we give up the right to be controlled. And this can be very freeing. When we voluntarily choose to be taken advantage of, then we cannot be manipulated. When we choose to be a servant, we are giving up the right to decide who we're going to serve and when we're going to serve. We become available, 
vulnerable. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He gave up control. He voluntarily chose to be taken advantage of. He surrendered his rights. He made that clear when he said, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And as we look at these words, I want you to think about the fact as they come up on the screen that on that day so long ago, Jesus wasn't just leading his followers to Jerusalem and to the cross. He's leading us there this morning as well. Because the journey of a daring disciple includes leaning in to these words, praying these words, practicing to live out these words. So let's practice them together including those of you online. So I'm going to invite all of us to say them together. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's say that again with more from your heart. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, when we serve children in the Little League, or children and teenagers and teachers in schools, or when we serve someone in our neighborhood, or in our community, or answer a need at First Pres, or any way that you serve, it becomes an opportunity for Jesus to develop his heart in us his servant's heart in us until serving becomes more than something we do, more than a duty. It becomes who we are. Being a servant is a lot like being an emergency room doctor. When the opportunity comes to act, you act. You don't leave just because the shift is over. And you certainly don't think about what you got out of it while you served. None of that is in the thought of an emergency room doctor. But what if we were to pray to God and just say, God, help me to see myself as you see me, as the servant that you actually created me to be, intended me to be. What if we were to pray and say, God, where is that consistent place in my neighborhood, in my family, in my job, in this church, where I can do something that may seem insignificant but is important to you, God? Oh, Lord, give me eyes to see like an emergency room doctor so that I might be on call as your servant, available as your servant. I am so excited to show you the pictures of some people who live like they're on call for God. When you watch them, you can see that they are other-focused. It's as if they really took it to heart when Jesus said, I want you to be different. So up they come. The first ones are Sandra and Jorge Samper. They are our custodial staff, and they go beyond their jobs because they love you, they care for you, and every single Sunday, they're not only doing what they've been asked, but they go way out of their way to make sure you're comfortable and safe and cared for. They love you. Next is Kelly Hero Masano. She is deeply talented. She's a mother, a wife. She has a full-time job, and yet she has produced video after video for all of us for Sunday mornings and does so with great joy and always says, it's my humble honor. The next slide is Dan Fields IV. He's a senior at Plant High School, and he's in a life group with Bryce Lynn, our director of ministry to students. Dan goes out of his way to invite friends that he knows either don't know Jesus or aren't a part of a group 
so that they might experience what he's experiencing. No one's asked him to do this. He's just doing it. Libby Maddox, also in high school, before quarantine, faithfully serving in our children's crew ministry, week after week, Sunday after Sunday. Next. June Arnhem, my mom. She used to be, before quarantine, the first one to arrive at church. A lot of you are nodding your heads. And before we had bulletins that we passed out, we used to put them in the pews. And she would put them in the pews. She would look to see if we were having a baptism and make sure there was water. She would greet people out front. She would ask what needs to be done next. None of this was asked of her. She just showed up and started serving. And now she helps serve those who are homeless on Sunday right before worship. Next, Billy Berry. I've learned from Bryce Lynn that Billy, when he reaches out to people to get them to come and help with some task at the church or somewhere else, that Billy is always the first one to sign up. Always. Next one. Anu Brahim. She's from Nigeria. She's been worshiping with us for a couple of years. And within 10 days of her arrival in Tampa and joining us, she started serving on Sunday mornings our Marion Street ministry of bagels and coffee to those who are hungry and homeless. She hasn't missed a Sunday except for one time for business travel. Charlotte Godin, Ivan Monaco, and Milo Lynn. This is a little dream team that comes every Sunday morning. And when they arrive, they don't sit around and they could play games and run around and have fun in the church. Instead, I've heard them time and time again ask Rachel Godin, our director of children's ministry, what do you need done? What can I do for you? And they start setting up for her, sanitizing, getting iPads ready for registration, on and on and on. Next slide. Tyler Hill on our session, but he's a sneaky operative. Tyler serves in so many ways. It's just in his blood as a servant. He and his dad built the nativity scene that we have at Christmas time. He went with me to Africa. He's serving behind the scenes along with Anu, and he's offered recently to help be a cameraman in the balcony. Always behind the scenes, silently at work. Joanne Harvey, the way she faithfully serves and has done so for decades in this church is prayer. A ministry of prayer. She prays for you. She prays for us, our nation, and the world. She is relentless in her servant's heart for prayer. Henry Callahan was one of the first people to sign up for Sit One, Serve One. And he runs the board for Rachel for the children's ministry for crew on Sundays. I'm so proud of Henry. The last one, Steve Kraft. On Saturday mornings when we serve those who are hungry and homeless through our ministry that we call Matthew 25, because of COVID-19, we're now doing it all outside on the sidewalk. And what Steve has started doing is all of the setup, setting up the tables, setting up the ropes so that people can line up in a safe manner. He stands in the parking spot reserved for showered and empowered until they arrive so that no one will pull in to that spot. And at the end of the time, after we've served everyone their breakfast and juice and coffee and love, he gets a big bag and starts gathering all of the trash until every last piece is gathered. But what you don't know is that Steve is homeless. He's one of our homeless guests, but he has a heart of Jesus, a servant's heart. I'm so inspired by him. What I've noticed is none of these people seem to serve from a do my shift, check it off the sheet, do my duty kind of mentality. Instead, their lives point to Jesus because they have his servant's heart in their heart. This morning, I'm so excited to share with you about a prayer. 
It's a prayer that I've been praying every day for many years now. It was given to me by a friend. She actually painted it onto a bookmark. This prayer is something that the Lord has been using to help shape my mind and my heart towards being the kind of servant that God created me to be, that God intends for me to become. And this is the prayer. The prayer is, Lord, today is your day, not mine. I was created for your purposes, not mine. Today, may I be about my father's business, not mine. I want to share that prayer with you today by giving you a bookmark with this prayer printed on it. And I'll be handing it out to you after worship. And those of you who are online, if you'll put in the chat line that you want one, I will mail it to you. But this prayer is intended to be a tool that helps you come before God every single day and say, I'm on call for you. Because what I want you to do with it is to pray this prayer every morning, first thing with me, between now and January. And if you're anything like me, you're going to want to continue praying this prayer long past January. I also want to ask you to do one other thing. I want you to leave this place this morning looking actively, intentionally, looking for an opportunity to give yourself away and to serve someone who has not asked for it. But from your heart, looking for perhaps a new neighbor that has moved in or a friend that needs to be listened to. If you have children, sit down with them and talk about do you know someone in our family or in our neighborhood that might need some help, some way that we can serve them and care for them, unasked for? Because as we develop this and make this a daily habit to have a servant's heart, can you imagine that it just might bring someone closer in to Jesus? Because it's so unexpected They'll wonder why, and you want to know why? Jesus said it, we said it together, because the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's why. Please pray with me now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak so gently to us when we know that our default is self-focus. When we know, Lord, that we make so much of our life about ourselves. And we thank you for showing us the way, just like you showed James and John so long ago. Lord, we know that they got it because we know that James was martyred for his faith we know that they got it because both James and John eventually set the world on fire for you and that we are sitting here this morning, the recipients of their decision to be a servant for the kingdom. That's why we're here and let us be like them, Lord. They got it on that day. Help us to get it so that a thousand years from now, there will be people that know you and love you because we chose to be a servant. Oh God, what a privilege that is. How freeing that is. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Friends, I invite you now to stand and enjoy the music as the ushers will come and get you before you leave. But I want us to all understand that we now get to be servants and we get to leave this place saying, I'm on call for you. Amen. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand.